welcome back to the horrors hi i'm elise i'm shay and we're doing a movie that i've been wanting to do for summertime for the past like three years <laughs> and elise finally agreed to it and i actually kind of liked it i'm surprised i'm shocked <laughs> well you know i'm not new to the horror movies of the early 2000s anymore and previously i think i've been a little disappointed by some at least on my first watch before our conversations but this time i saw the year 2002 and i thought you know what I think I know a little bit about what I'm getting myself into. And so I think I went into it with the right attitude. Also, it is helpful that I didn't really vibe with any of the characters. Everyone is imperfect, which is fine, but I wasn't on anybody's side, except maybe Karen, poor Karen. But I had the right attitude. And so I think that helped me enjoy it. Well, you had that in common with the last Eli Roth movie we covered, <laughs> Green Inferno, which was very recently. And this time we're doing one of his firsts, Cabin Fever from 2002. Now, this movie for me is one of the classics that I always accredited to getting me into horror. And the way I explained it to Elise earlier is that I just have a very specific thing that I'm uncomfortable with seeing in horror. And it's part of the reason I like The Ruins. It's like that eco-horror, realistic, infectious, there's not really an antagonist. It's just the earth or it's just nature or it's just biology. Like in the ruins, it was these sentient vines that were getting inside your body and doing weird things. And now with cabin fever, it's a flesh eating virus. Yeah. And flesh eating viruses exist. Yeah. So as far as what happened to these teens goes, it wasn't the most unbelievable thing. Not at all. And it's actually somewhat based off a real experience. So let me get through the ladies and we'll get into that. So our ladies for this movie are Karen. She is played by Jordan Ladd. She is known for Hostel Part 2, a movie called Grace, and a movie called Club Dread. And then we have Marcy. She's played by Serena Vincent. She is known for It Waits, Freaks of Nature, and is known primarily for her television roles in Power Rangers, The Lost Galaxy, and Stuck in the Middle. Going into some pre-plot trivia, this is directed by Eli Roth. We just talked about him from The Green Inferno. He's also known for the Hostel franchise, Knock Knock, Aftershock, The Last Exorcism franchise, and the upcoming Thanksgiving and the Eli Roth's History of Horror series. Now, on the inspiration, Roth was inspired to write the script after getting an intense skin infection after working on a farm in Iceland. So this is a quote from him. I had been cleaning out a barn and got a skin infection on my face. I woke up in the middle of the night, scratching my cheek, thinking I had a mosquito bite. I looked down at my hand and saw (gasps) chunks of skin. No. The next morning, I attempted to shave and literally shaved half my face off. No. The strangest part was not only did it not hurt, it actually satisfied some strange itch underneath my skin. I went to see a dermatologist who, judging by the horrified and puzzled look on her face, had never seen anything like it before. She gave me a steroid cream and luckily it cleared up. (laughs) That shaving moment will come up again later. I never would have thought something like that was possible. It's just amazing. Like this earth is crazy. The fact that you could get a virus like that, that would make your skin literally fall off your face. Similarly, sound mixer for the film, John Neff survived a real flesh-eating bacterium, which he contracted in a hospital during a minor surgery. (gasps) It took 13 days of nonstop intensive care and medical attention to save his life. Neff maintains the makeup in the film is 100% accurate to his experience. I will say the makeup in the none of the makeup I saw was like, no way. Yeah. A lot of it reminded me of sunburn, actually. Like the way, like the red skin, like the peeling, like you can tell your body's trying to heal a wound, but there's a bacteria there. Mm -hmm. Very, very uncomfortable. So the movie includes homages to other low-budget horror and thriller films, including Night of the Living Dead, Deliverance, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and The Evil Dead, also The Blair Witch Project. I just want to say, I've seen almost every single one of those movies, Ah! except for Deliverance, which, have we ever talked about that? No, I don't think so. Okay. It was filmed over 24 days in North Carolina. Production was stalled after one day of filming due to an anthrax scare. So, what? Lots of things going on. (laughs) And this is on what Eli Roth says the film is about. He says, Cabin Fever is about the destruction of friendships using the body as a metaphor for their deterioration. Nice. I love a metaphor. So let's get into it. How do we open? Okay, so credits play over the eerie sound of flies buzzing before opening on a man with a dead rabbit walking through the woods. It seems like this dead rabbit is something he just caught in a trap. He's arriving back at his campsite and he calls to his dog who is lying down on the ground that dinner is almost served. 
But his dog does not respond. He goes up to his dog with the rabbit. He tries to dangle it in front of his dog's nose to see if getting a scent will alert the dog. But the dog is not stirring. And I think the audience knows way before this man that his dog is no longer alive. This dog is definitely dead. And as the man slowly starts to come to that realization, leans down and tries to get a better look, he lifts one of the dog's legs and blood squirts out of a cavernous wound in this dog's abdomen all over this man's face. He screams, and I love this cut. As he screams, we are instantly jumped to a woman screaming out the window of a truck with all of her friends because they're about to go on vacation. She's yelling at some boy to never go to college because it's a scam. (laughs) And I wrote, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that that is something that's actually aging pretty well. Yeah. And of course, like I said, she's with a car full of her college friends. Are they in college or about to go to college it's weird because there's discussion later where it's like oh karen's gonna go to purdue or something like that and it's like okay is she transferring or are you guys in high school so maybe karen is the baby maybe she's like fresh high school graduate but then jeff he's already about to go to law school you can't just go for law you have to get some kind of bachelor's degree first and they buy beer at the convenience store. Okay, so there's some age ranges here. Yeah, I, I think would so. say at least we could say 18 to 21 or 22. Yeah, I think so. So they are racing off in their pickup truck away from their campus toward a cabin in the woods. And by the way, we said that there's Karen. Karen is the young one. There is Jeff, which we mentioned he's going to go try to be a lawyer. And his girlfriend is Marcy. There's also Paul, who has a big, big crush on Karen, and then Bert. Yes, and <laughs> Paul is Sean Hunter. Uh, young Sean Hunter, young Ryder Strong, Boy Meets World, heartthrob of us all. <laughs> they pull up to a convenience store with a kid outside of it drinking a soda. Paul goes up and is trying to introduce himself, being like, put her here, buddy. Puts his hand out for a handshake and instead gets bitten by Dennis. Dennis so weird. appears to be like a 10-year-old boy with a crazy haircut. His father comes out with a shotgun out of the convenience store. He's like, everyone knows not to sit next to Dennis. And he's like, well, maybe you should make a sign. <laughs> like, he's like, what, like, how am I supposed to know not to sit next to your kid because he's going to bite people? So he goes to wash his hand off in a stream behind the store while the rest of the friends are inside of the store talking to the elderly shop owner. They're looking at all of these containers, one's full of fox piss, there's all these old Coke bottles. It's like a country apothecary. Yeah. The shop owner lets out some racial slurs, which is telling us, oh shit, okay, we're not on the college campus anymore, we're in Mm, rural America, they're all very much discomforted by the use of the N-word. Yeah, they're in a stereotypically bigoted location, it seems. And I said this to Shay, this movie kind of looks a little bit of like these folk horror elements, where it seems like these students are far enough away from where they are from, and now they're in this community, it seems very close-knit. Everybody knows not to talk to Dennis, right? There are these close-knit ties that they are now on the outside of. Again, kind of sewing this us versus them mentality. But they arrive at the cabin in the woods. Jeff and Marcy are horny immediately and get right to boning. We are reminded that this movie is from the early 2000s because as Karen and Paul go off to swim in the lake, Bert goes off to shoot some squirrels because they're gay. (laughs) Bert, what the heck? Uh, Hilary Duff would be so mad at this movie. She would. She would be horrified. She'd be like, hey. It's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. To say gay. And they'll say it so many more times. Oh, 100%. I just was like, happy 2002, everyone. Happy 2002. <laughs> Meanwhile, Paul is shooting his shot with Karen. Karen's oblivious and not hearing the, I've always thought you were really cool. We get montages of what everyone's doing. Marcy and Jeff are fucking ferociously. Some equal opportunity fucking, I must say. They're enjoying themselves. They're enjoying themselves. She flips him over and looks like... Yeah! Oh my god! Yeah, like he gets some too and he seems to be enjoying himself. Equal opportunity, I enjoy it. (laughs) Bert is shooting some squirrels. I don't forget why I wrote this. I know exactly why I wrote this. (laughs) we, We cut to... Paul and Karen like laying on their backs sunbathing in the dock and I wrote Ryder Strong's armpit hair turned me gay because I remember seeing 
I remember watching this movie as like a young tween and like everyone thinking like, oh my God, Ryder Strong is so hot because he's like Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World. Like he was everybody's crush in the 90s. And Ryder Strong with his arms behind his head with his armpit hair out and his like hairy nipples. I remember looking at that and like shuddering. Wow, that's what I'm supposed to be attracted to. Meanwhile, you got Karen next to him who's like this hot blonde and I'm just like, (laughs) Ryder Strong's armpit hair turned me gay. That's if anyone has to ask. That's, that's a moment the, right that's there. That's a moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, while they're laying on the dock, they kind of continue their conversation from before a little bit, which this conversation also makes me think that Karen knows a little bit more of what's going on. She starts talking to Paul about this other guy from home who tried to hit on her and she turned him down. It was just so weird. They had known each other for so long. And of course, we were seeing the parallels being drawn between how Paul feels about Karen and now what Karen is saying about this other guy from home. But just when it seems like all hope is lost, she says something about, have you ever just known somebody so long you want to know what it's like to kiss them? So she leans in and kisses Paul. And just when it seems like, oh, where is this going to go? They're isolated out here on this dock. She just stops kissing him and rolls off into the water. (laughs) And I was like, I get it. I get it. I bet she tried him on. She's like, I know this guy likes me. I'm going to give him a kiss. She tried it. And she was like, no. No. <laughs> and she was like, how do I stop this? I'll roll away. I simply will submerge in the water. <laughs> she doesn't even say anything. She just rolls away. And he's trying. He's like, hey, I thought we were like kissing. Is this a date? And she's like, don't be gay. <laughs> yeah, she does say that. <laughs> Hillary Duff is crossing her arms she's very like, wow, faintly guys, in the again? difference. Again. <laughs> So Bert lights a casual forest fire and wanders off with his gun and his beer. He shoots at what he thinks is a moving animal, and it turns out to be the hunter from earlier. Not Sean Hunter, the hunter with the rabbit. Bert's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. But then as the hunter emerges from the little pit that he fell into, he says he's sick and that he needs help, and he is pussy and bloody and oozy. Like, this man is moist. (laughs) No, no, but yes, he is. Bert's like, stay away from me, man. I'll go get you help. We got to stay away from me. And ends up like shooting at the ground so that the man falls back over and passes out and Bert runs away. He comes back to Marcy and Jeff putting out the forest fire and does not tell them about the man that he saw. Yeah. I mean, as much of a dumpster fire of a character Bert is, I do think he has good instincts as far as like, don't come near me. Mm -hmm. But he is such a dick for never saying anything there's always one in these movies that night it's story time paul and his friends are sitting around a campfire outside and he's telling a spooky story about some bowling alley staff that was captured and murdered by a former employee with a ball peen hammer of course bert loves ball peen (laughs) that's like a funny little thing and i did look it up apparently a ball peen hammer is used for like metal work (laughs) good to know (laughs) Here's your handyman advice. And then, of course, by the end of the story, it's clear that the story is completely fabricated. It's meant to be a joke. They all laugh and brush it off. But then all of a sudden, there's a jump scare because we suddenly see some guy has arrived at the camp with a dog. Later, this guy introduces himself as Grim. This is his dog, Dr. Mambo. (laughs) I just wrote Grim is wild. What a character. One of my favorite exchanges in the movie Grim is Eli Roth, by the way. This is the director doing a little cameo. And he's introducing Dr. Mambo. I don't know if it's Marcy or it's Karen, but very dryly is like, oh, is he like a physician or a professor? And Grim is like, yeah, he's a professor of being a dog. And it's, I don't know why I laughed as hard as I did, but I did. He invites himself to the party with a promise of weed, which everybody is more than happy to take off his hands. And he begins flirting with Karen, which makes Paul not very happy. But it soon begins to rain. Grim says he has to go because he needs to clean up his camping supplies, but that he'll come back later. So he leaves and all of the friends go back inside. So as they're sitting around the campfire, drinking, just passing the time, there's a knock on the door. So Jeff goes to answer the door thinking it's Grimm, but it's instead the hunter saying that he needs a doctor. Bert walks up to the door and the hunter calls him out as, hey, you're the guy who shot me. (laughs) So Bert slams the door on him and says, don't let this guy in here. He's sick. And I guess in retribution, the hunter tries to steal their car, which I guess they left the keys in it. 
So as they run out to the car with a gun and a fire poker trying to get this very oozy man out of Jeff's car. (laughs) Not this oozy man. Not the oozy man. The hunter pukes blood all over the inside of the car, stumbles outside, and looks like he's making advances toward the girls. They spray some sort of lighter fluid on him. Oh, it's pepper spray. Oh, is it pepper Uh spray? Yeah. But Paul is holding a torch of sorts and ends up lighting him on fire, and he goes running away off into the woods ablaze. Back inside, they try to decide what to do. And they essentially agree to just kind of wait until the next day to look for help and assess the damage to the car. Oh my god, by the way, while they were trying to get the hunter out of their car, they weren't like asking him politely. They were beating the shit out of their own car with baseball bats, like busting up the hood, the windows, the glass. So like on top of there being now this infectious puke on the inside of the vehicle, they completely destroyed the mechanics of their own car. So they have to figure out the next day how they're going to fix that anyway. And when morning comes and they get a look at the damage that they caused, the site is awful. Like the car is definitely destroyed. There's blood everywhere. Jeff and Bert decide that they're going to go look for help one way, but not before the boys argue over who is more at fault. But then Marcy's like, fuck you guys. And she goes off on her own to look for help. Meanwhile, Henry the Hunter's body is in a stream and we get a shot kind of as dramatic irony. We can see it has landed in the water stream, which may now be contaminating the water very near to the campsite. Yeah, it tracks up pipes and pipes that lead right into the cabin. And as Paul tries to comfort Karen about the fact they killed a man the night before, Paul gives her a glass of water to calm her down. Which, I'm so sorry, has anybody ever given you a glass of water and you felt calmed down? All the time. Really? Yeah, if I'm like crying, like, because she's crying and she's all like upset. And like, sometimes you just feel so dehydrated that sometimes you just need a nice cold gulp of something and you're like, yeah. Okay, respect. I respect it. (laughs) Also, maybe like being given something. I feel like that's like a good gesture. Like the gesture itself, I feel like for me carries more weight than the water. But it's not like, oh, here's this tap water from this (laughs) dirty cabin of origins we cannot explain. Hey, there's no Brita's. Jeff and Bert walk to a neighboring farm where they find a pig strung up waiting to be slaughtered. As they watch from afar, a farmer guts it open and grows enraged when she realizes that the pig is infected with something. And granted, we see its insides, but its insides do look like they're not supposed to look like how they do. I don't know. It looks weird. It looks like there's no meat on the inside. Yeah, it just looks yellow and green and like all rotted. And that's what she claims. She's like, all the animals around here are sick. Everything's sick. They clarify that they're just looking for help with their car. So she lightens up, invites them inside. They tell her about the hunter that they had to ward off that tried to break into their cabin. And she's like, oh, it wasn't Henry, was it? Nah, it couldn't be. But then it pans over to photos on her mantle and they see the man that they killed in photos on her mantle, her cousin Henry, Henry the hunter. So they make a quick exit and say they're going to walk to town instead, that it's no trouble. And then the next shot we get, I wrote, Marcy is on a one-woman mission in a canoe in a full face of makeup. She, (laughs) I guess, has entered a canoe and has paddled her way across the lake in jeans and wedges (laughs) and a baby doll tee, not breaking a goddamn sweat, just oared her way across the fucking open body of water. She gets on shore, you know, is calling around to see if anyone's there. And this is what I recognize the Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre shot. The shot from below as she's walking up to the farmhouse where it makes her look really big. I was like, oh my God. It's the same shot. She approaches the house, enters the house, which again is very Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Calls out to see if anyone's there. Bert gives her a jump scare. And then so does Jeff. And I'm like, wait, is this their house? And then you realize it's not. They all just broke into somebody else's house looking for clues or looking for a phone. Nope. (laughs) No one found anything. Yeah, I guess they broke in, which why would you do that? But if it's like a small town and they like don't lock their doors, they probably just walked right in the front door. Yeah, but it was still the fact that the three of them are meeting up and they're talking very casually in this living room. And I'm like, wait, is this just like a different room of the cabin? Oh, no, like none of you are supposed to be in there. And this bird's <laughs> just eating their beef jerky. And it's just like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Cut to somebody upstairs, like cowering in the corner because they hear people in the exactly. kitchen. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time that I thought I walked into my aunt's beach house and I walked into a neighbor's house instead? No, but so funny you said that because 
I think everybody has walked into the wrong beach house at some point. They all look the same. They all look the same. What happened? Were you met by people? No, thankfully. No, thankfully. (laughs) Where my aunt has a beach house, in that area code, there are two houses with an identical address. And one is like in a northern neighborhood and one's in like southern neighborhood. It directed me to the wrong one. Oh, shit. And all that she told me was, oh, we're not home, but we have a friend there who has a dog. So if there's a dog there, like it's going to greet you, don't worry about it. So we get to this house, I pull in, we're not expecting anyone to be home. So I'm like unloading my suitcases (laughs) with my girlfriend at the time. I open the sliding glass door, I fully step inside, there's like a TV on. You could tell that there's like somebody there because the sliding glass door was open, but there was nobody in there. And I look and I see a dog kennel, like a dog cage in there. So I'm like, oh, great. I got the right place. And then, (laughs) you know, I'm just like standing there and I had texted my aunt as I was unloading like, oh, does it have this flag out front or does it have like this going on out front? And I'm standing inside the living room, like sitting on the couch and I get text back saying no. You know, and meanwhile, like, my girlfriend's, like, unpacking her pack. I'm like, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. And, like, we never got greeted. But I, like, was fully inside somebody's house, but it was the wrong address. And it's gotten to the point now where, like, my aunt knows these people because they get each other's mail all the time. And, like, mm. whenever they order food, sometimes it goes to the wrong address because it's literally an identical address. But I fully stepped inside someone's beach house thinking it was my aunt's house and it wasn't. Damn. It was funny. But this is what they're doing. But they know they're doing it. So meanwhile, back at the cabin, an officer arrives on the scene because he got reports that there was supposedly a lot of commotion the night before on the property. And the officer initially just looks way too chill. He also looks like he's 17 years old. But then he turns out to definitely be a creep. He offers to send some help. But he just keeps insisting that they should all stay on the property and party and that he might come back later. He seems very interested in getting drunk and partying and being near some pretty girls. And that's made abundantly clear because Paul is talking to the officer. And at one point during their conversation, Karen comes out onto the porch to, I don't know, see who's there, something like that. And when the officer gets a load of Karen and how cute and gorgeous she is, that's when he doubles down on how insistent he is about you should stay and party, especially when you got a girl like that around. Gross. Yeah, super gross. But inside, Karen has finished her water. She is laying in her bed sleeping, and it seems like she's having some strange dreams. Flashes of like sickness are crossing her mind, and it seems like maybe this is the early onset fever of the sickness that she's going to experience. Meanwhile, Bert and Paul are talking about the cop situation as they're trying to clean this truck off because it is covered in blood. And that was something that was so hilarious about the previous scene is that Deputy Winston is like talking about how hot Karen is next to a fully bloody like murder scene in the truck. And he is not at all concerned. But as they're trying to clean off the truck, Dr. Mambo shows up very aggressively, grim dog, barking at them. They end up shooting the BB gun at him to ward him off. But it seems as though he is also infected by whatever is going on. Later, Paul cuddles with Karen as Bert and Jeff try to fix the car and are on the lookout for this aggressive dog. Paul, you could tell he's trying to be a little tender. And I think in the 2002 timeline, we're supposed to take it as tender. But in this 2023 timeline, it's looking very rapey. He's like caressing her face and playing with her hair. And you could tell that he's like into her or whatever like that. But then he starts touching her waist and working her shirt up and eventually puts his hand down her pants. And she's reacting in a way where she seems as though she's welcoming it, but she's also like asleep. So it's, yeah, it's it very, yeah, it doesn't mm, verbalize anything. We don't like it. We don't like it. We're getting camera shots that suggest that he is fingering her. But as he retreats his hand, it is covered in blood. He throws the blankets off and turns out he was fingering a lesion on her thigh. And her sore is on her thigh, but it is like really far away from the clitoris. (laughs) Wait, I did not even make that connection that he just completely found the wrong... Wrong hole. Hole. Yeah. Oh. (laughs) Wow. Okay, great. That is really funny. Well, it also is so confusing <laughs> as to like why she was reacting with like identifications that she could be enjoying herself. Well, I 
That makes me think of Eli Roth's quote about when he shaved off his face and it didn't hurt. It felt like it was scratching an itch. Yeah. Like she was like, oh yeah, get in there, you know? I assumed that he was fingering her and then maybe started to like rub her thighs. I thought maybe he was like just down there a little longer doing a couple things and then Then found it. Then he discovered it. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. But you're right that it could totally be the other way. It'd be just funnier that he like completely missed. I think it could totally be read that way. Yeah, I think that's how he, if I, I don't know Eli Roth. Eli, <laughs> we don't know each other. If but I know my friend But if Eli I know Roth. my friend Eli, <laughs> it was missing the hole. <laughs> so he's obviously freaked the fuck out. They all realize that she's sick. Bert forces her to stay in the bedroom while they all check themselves for open wounds or signs of the sickness, but none of them seem to have them. They then carry a cot out to a shed and walk a very sickly Karen to a shed where they'll be quarantining her. She's like, fuck you guys. But they assure her that they're going to be watching over her and they're going to be getting help for her. But also I love that when they lock Karen in that shed, they say that they'll look out for her. But then one of the very next scenes, you just like see them all together and no one is looking out on Karen. It's also like that confusion of why not just keep her in that bedroom. Everyone's also acting like Paul didn't just sleep with her the night before. Yeah. Especially Bert, even. Like, if you know enough to be like, I shouldn't come into contact with you because you are sick, then you should probably know that if you came into contact with somebody who's sick, that they could be at risk. And yeah, what are they going to do in that room anyway? It's not like they're going to go into that room again. Just keep her in there. Uh, It's really fucking frustrating. Just put her out back. (laughs) Just in a shed. Yeah. Just put her in the shed on top of a dirty, dirty mattress. There's not even a sheet on that mattress. There's no light in there. There's no light. And you know there are bugs. Anyway, so the next morning, this is the morning after Karen has spent a whole night in the shed. They finally get the car to start running. They go to check on Karen and find that her condition is severely worsening. They're like, okay, we need to load her into this car, get her away from this place, get her some help. But as Bert goes off on his own to kind of load up some things, we see him vomit blood. And then he notices a sore close down by his hip. But he doesn't tell anyone because he sucks. It's also important to note that during the campfire story scene, Bert and Jeff had made a bet on who could just drink beer throughout the entire vacation. (laughs) And we see Bert drink water the night before. We know that the water's no good, but they don't know that the water's no good. But that kind of informs something that happens later. Yes. So Bert drank the water. Now he's spitting up blood. But yes, he's hiding it from them. So as he steadies himself, they try to get Karen in the car, but she pukes all over the inside of the car. Pukes blood. Jeff's like, I'm not going in there. It's infected. Paul and Marcy don't think that it's okay to take Karen anywhere. So Bert, in frustration, takes off with the car. And Jeff, in frustration, takes a six-pack of beer and walks off into the woods, covering its mouth, being like, you guys are getting her blood all over you. Like, I'm not getting sick. I'm not getting sick. So we have Bert heading off in the direction of hopefully getting some help and Jeff disappearing from the movie for a while. And that means with Karen in her state, it's just Paul and Marcy left to kind of make decisions. They go inside. Again, no one is fucking looking after Karen. And now she is not even locked in the shed. She's on a mattress in the middle of the front lawn. (sighs) Wait, no, she's in the shed. Oh, did they put her back in the shed? They put her back in the shed. Okay, great. They put her back in the shed, guys. (laughs) Okay. They're such good friends. But no one is looking after her. So Paul and Marcy are inside. They're feeling stressful. Marcy has some dialogue about, you know, feeling like... Wait, you want to hear something crazy about this this line? Because this line is crazy, but then also some during the plot trivia. Yeah. So Marcy says this ridiculous line. It's like being on a plane and you know it's going to crash. Everyone around you is screaming and yelling, we're going down, we're going down. And all you really want to do is grab the person next to you and fuck the shit out of them because you both know you're going to be dead soon anyway. Yeah. Now. Uh. <laughs> now. Some during the plot trivia. To audition for Marcy... The actors read this scene or like part of this scene. Knowing that this movie came out in 2002, guess what the date of the auditions was supposed to be for actresses to read this line? Don't even tell me it was 9-11. It was 9-11. Oh, no. Yes. So literally they had all these actresses interested in the role. And because that was the line and that happened on the day that they were supposed to audition, all of them were like, nope, 
Absolutely not. Wow. Of all the lines, of all the days. But guess what? Speaking of grabbing the person next to you and fucking them, Paul and Marcy fuck. And then afterward, Paul rinses his dick off with some vodka. (laughs) Which is like, uh, Paul fucking sucks. Is he washing his dick off because he's like, I don't want to get infected? Or is he doing that because he feels bad about what he did? I guess when I first watched this, I thought it was because he didn't want to get infected. But now I'm like, oh, maybe he felt guilty. Because I thought he knew enough about what was going on to know he could get infected for like swapping body fluids with Marcy. I think it could be a couple things. While they're having sex, you can tell Paul isn't like as into it as Marcy is. And he's like, well, do you use protection? And she's like, don't worry, I'm clean. So part oh my God, of, I missed that. Yeah, so part of okay. me thinks it was oh, a reading fuck. of like, he's calling Marcy promiscuous, especially because we get a mirroring shot of Marcy seeing the indentations that he left on her back that like maybe he was starting to see it in his pelvic area. Like that's where it was first presenting like on his dick because there was obviously some friction happening in that regard. Maybe he saw all the markings on Marcy's back. I was like, oh my God, she's got it. And I don't want to get it. No way. No way did he see those. Well, there is some like relationship between this thing being like sexually transmitted, maybe. Like in the readings afterwards, that's kind of like a theory that people have about it. Really? Okay. Well, if you think about it, and this is going to come up in the post plot stuff, but it's like everybody who gets it, it first, like Bert, it presents as a rash like near his pelvic area. Marcy gets it during intercourse and he's washing off his dick with Listerine. I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, look, I'll see what the sources present. I always love a theory. Bert arrives at the rest stop from before to ask for help. Oh, my God. We see our favorite (laughs) random child, Dennis, sitting outside on the bench, just looking off into the distant, totally stony face. Bert, you know, start yelling for help. Please come help me. Come help me. I can't even talk about this. I I think you need to talk about this. You know, maybe I do. Okay, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen in a movie in my life. So Bert, we need help. We need help. There's Dennis, young little blonde boy. Dennis looks like he's wearing like, oh my God. (laughs) This is like so niche. When I was little, I used to have this like blonde bob wig. And one time I turned it around and wore it backwards. This is what Dennis's hair looks like. (laughs) It's like really short and choppy on the top, but it's not bangs. And then it's like really long and strange on the bottom. I don't know if anybody's going to get that. Um, It really speaks to me. And that is what Dennis looks like. So as Bert arrives, Dennis sees him. His little eyes light up. He points and yells at Bert, pancakes, pancakes. Okay. If you're confused, so am I. (laughs) Bert is also confused. Little Dennis gets up and you're never going to guess what he does. He fucking does some karate kicks in Bert's direction. Bert is like, what the fuck? Tries to run away, but is too stunned to get a good jump. Dennis gets to him and bites his hand. What? If you're confused, so am I. It's so strange. And I even think like the karate kick Dennis does is in slow motion. Oh, it is. Because then Dennis's father is like, I told you to stay on the swing. Yes, no. <laughs> like, like even the screaming's in slow-mo. Yes. And then he gets mad at Bert and goes inside to get his gun. And Bert gets in the car and starts driving away before the dad or the, the crew can shoot at him. But they follow in hot pursuit. So there's Dennis's dad and then two other dudes that we've never seen before that get in a car and follow Bert. And when Dennis bites Bert, he like bites his finger off because his skin is so malleable that he draws blood. And the reason Dennis's father is so upset is because Bert was just going on about how they're all sick. There's this skin thing going on. And he's like, you just got my son sick and I'm going to kill you. Oh my God. Meanwhile, Paul says he's going to go for help because he can't just sit around any longer. And Marcy's like, I'm going to go take a bath. And I don't know what it is about women feeling the need to bathe in times of like... High stress and isolation. So relatable. But keep in mind, this water is no good. And she is submerged in it now. It's it's no good. (laughs) It's no good. H2, no. Oh, no! (laughs) H2, no. So Bert's truck gives out. He's running away in the woods, giving some trickery, leaving some blood on trees that makes him look like he's running in one direction when he's leaving in another direction. Blood and some skin chunks. Oh, yeah. There's some <laughs> there's some material there. <laughs> no, not the material. Meanwhile, Paul finds the dead man's body in the water. You were enraged. I was enraged, <laughs> and I'll tell you why. 
So Henry, the hunter's body is in the water. And you can tell because he's wearing same like trench coat. But Paul decides to lower himself down closer to the water on this rickety old wooden ladder. Looks like a kind of a pool ladder and balance close to Henry's body and try to turn it over with the stick, which he does. And of course, Henry's face is so decomposed. You can't even get an identity off this guy. And as Paul looks at his face in horror and sees how decomposed he is, guess what happens? You'll never guess. Oh, the ladder breaks. And he falls on top of the dead man's body, freaks out, gets back out, and then looks at a sign that says reservoir, which essentially confirms that that dead body is now contaminating a reservoir that will now be fed to how many homes in and around the area. And he's been in there for a while. And that's what's contaminating Marcy's bath, which we've returned to. So this is the infamous leg shaving scene. I thought that this was the most unbelievable part of the movie. Oh, was it? And then you told me that little fun little fact in the beginning, and I'm terrified. What? What thing? That something like this is possible. Oh, yes. (laughs) I thought, I was like, no way. This can't be. And I say most unbelievable part of the movie in terms of what this sickness is doing. Marcy has it. She's sitting in this tub full of water, which is contaminated. She's sobbing and shaving her legs, which you will not catch me shaving my legs if I'm sobbing. No. And that's Sorry. what was unbelievable to me. Is yeah. Like, what is, <laughs> like, again, is that no. upholding this characterization of Marcy that she's all about vanity mm. or whatever? And she's she doesn't just, like, seem to be about vanity. Well, part of the only reason I think about that is because she asked Paul to stay with her and he rejected her after he had sex with her and Jeff like walked out on her. So like she's kind of judging herself in relation to the company she's keeping with the men. men. Okay. And this is like, let me just shave my legs and make me, make me pretty. Like that's the only thing there. I was like, girl, come on. Right, right, right. So she's crying and shaving her legs. And then what starts to happen? She starts shaving her skin off. But the first two swipes, she doesn't even feel. And then she looks down on the third and realizes what's happening. So I thought that was crazy. And even if it was happening, how she wouldn't notice immediately. But again, like I said, bringing it back to that little pre-plot trivia piece, Eli Roth says it didn't hurt. It felt good. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, and that's, I mean, an indication of how far gone she really is. Her skin is peeling off. She doesn't feel the pain. She notices the blood. She freaks out, jumps out of the bathtub, runs outside to, I don't know, get help, go somewhere. She heard a gunshot and so did Paul. Oh, that's right. And it's the hunters going after Bert. Right. But they're like, oh my God, what's going on? So Paul doubles back and Marcy goes outside. But as Marcy goes outside, she is promptly attacked by the dog. Dr. Mambo. Dr. Mambo takes her down and she is no more. Paul races back to the cabin and sees the carnage all over the ground, including her foot, just like hanging out in her sandal and opens the shed door to see Dr. Mambo eating Karen's unconscious body. Dr. Mambo senses Paul, chases after him, and he is able to grab the gun in enough time, killing the dog. Then Paul mercy kills Karen. He flips over her body and there is no skin on her face. It's very skeletal and he uses the blunt edge of a shovel to take her life. And he's about to head out because he's alone right now. But all of a sudden, Bert appears on the porch. They get ready for a standoff because Bert informs him that there are people on the way. Those three guys arrive and they end up busting open the door to the cabin. But Bert is lying in wait. And Bert decides that he's going to try to have like this cool moment of dialogue before he pulls the trigger to kill one of these guys. But before he can even finish his sentence or pull his gun up to shoot, he is shot and killed. Does get the shot off on the guy who shoots him. And then as the guy Bert shot is falling, he shoots Dennis's father. I thought he killed Bert, but then Paul sneakily hits the one with the pan. And then that makes him accidentally shoot the other guy. Maybe I could just be totally wrong. Regardless, there's some tomfoolery that happens. Big tomfoolery. everybody but Paul dies. Yeah. Paul races through the woods in search of Jeff, looks for him in a cave, but ends up finding Grimm's dead body. Yeah. So Grimm got it too. Our favorite pro skater, man. (laughs) Paul runs back to the cabin, then takes off in the townsman's truck, which is left conveniently parked on site with the keys inside. 
as he's driving down the road, it is now nighttime. He is driving through these rural roads. He sees a reflection of himself in the rearview mirror and realizes that he looks sick. And this distracts him that he's not paying attention and he hits a deer. This is a bad accident. The deer comes partially through the windshield. It's kicking. It's still alive and in pain. But Paul grabs the rifle and kills the deer. What is that? I think it just serves to cover him in blood and make him look wild so that when he jumps upon the party, he looks more deranged. Remember how bloody he is at the party scene? And then when he's at the hospital and he's all washed up, he doesn't actually look that sick. I think it's just making it so he's covered in blood and looks horrifying. Okay, fair I don't, that's the only thing I can think of. And a party, you might say. Well, there is a party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Paul comes across a scene. Now he's on foot because the car he managed to take is totaled. He manages to stumble on Sheriff Winston, that officer from before, partying with really young looking girls. I don't know. They look like they're like 16 years old in the woods with some other guys. They're all drinking beer. And as Paul approaches, he asks if the sheriff can give him a ride before the sheriff can say yes. He gets a call on his radio about some kids out on a killing spree. If you see any of them, shoot and kill them on site. And obviously, Paul looks very guilty, especially covered in blood, like Shay just said. But the sheriff doesn't shoot him because he mentions to his friend that the gun is in the car. Soon, a huge fight breaks out. Some guy's playing a harmonica, but in the fight, it gets knocked down his throat. There's some punching, hitting going on. Paul ends up hitting a guy with a guitar, and he ends up getting away, but not before hitting Sheriff Winston over the head with a bat. So he does kind of get a whack in. He passes out on the side of the road, or in the middle of the road, actually, when he's trying to flag down help. But luckily, whoever this truck driver is who almost hit him is able to scoop him up and drop him off on the hospital steps and drive away. So when Paul wakes up, like Shay said, he looks like he has been cared for, but some people immediately try to question him. The people learn very quickly that they're not going to get anything from Paul. Whatever he's saying sounds delusional, but it does say that this is a serious situation. His friends were infected. He's infected. So the doctors are like, look, we're a small hospital. We're not equipped to handle the situation. You need to take him to whatever neighboring town, city, and Sheriff Winston is volunteered for the job. Who has made it to the hospital, I guess. We see a scene of him driving Paul away from the scene being like, oh, don't worry, buddy, I got you, I got you. But then we come to find out later that he dumped his body somewhere. So he obviously is a little bit more nefarious than we took him to be. Yep. So later, we see Jeff stumble out of some bushes, hungover but not infected because he won the bet. Because we did not think this was going to be an important plot point earlier, but (laughs) he only drank beer. He did not drink the water, (laughs) and presumably he did not bathe. So he was not infected. He never got infected. So he walks back to the cabin, investigates, and sees the carnage. And instead of being horrified, he starts crying and celebrating, saying, I fucking made it. I fucking did it. I fucking won. Like, being horrible. And he steps outside to celebrate and is promptly shot to shit by a bunch of cops because those were the orders they were given. They stack all of the bodies they find on top of one another and light them on fire. We cut to two kids gathering water from a stream to make lemonade, and we follow a panning shot downstream and see Paul's body dumped in the reservoir. So, okay, this water's still very much infected. And also, you know, the officers are not interested in getting anybody medical help. No. They're only interested in trying to, I guess, try to stop this sickness from spreading by killing everybody who might have it. But of course, the lemonade is showing that this might not happen. Yes, the same cops that worked on covering up their deaths buy lemonade from the kids at the stand at the convenience store. I laughed out loud at a new sign being above the swing saying, do not sit next to Dennis. In all caps. (laughs) It was a nice little fun set design choice after Paul earlier was like, maybe you should make a sign. And they did, which is nice. And there's just a montage of the townsfolk drinking the infected lemonade as the credits roll. And there you have it. So some post-plot stuff. This movie spawned one sequel in Cabin Fever Spring Break in 2009, directed by Ty West. Nice. And one prequel titled Cabin Fever Patient Zero in 2014. And then there was also a remake in 2016. This I thought was interesting. Despite all of the teens catching the disease, none of them die from it. Yeah. Because Karen's killed by Paul. Bert is killed by the townsman. Paul, I guess, is killed by Winston. Jeff is killed by the cops. Marcy is killed by the dog. Yeah. And even the hunter is killed by by Paul. By Paul, yeah. 
And I mean, I guess the only gray area is Grim, but I'm guessing his dog kills him. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because Grim was showing no signs of being sick, but then never came back from the campsite. So his dog was probably already sick. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So the pancake scene oh my was made up during filming after Eli Roth saw Matthew Helms, who plays Dennis, practicing Taekwondo during a break. He discovered that Helms was a real-life black belt, so he decided to add the scene in to give him a chance to show off what he could do. I mean, if you don't want to watch the movie, you should really consider YouTubing the pancake scene. And just looking at it, it is a sight to behold. This is on some of the nudity in the film. This comes from the Cabin Fever wiki. Eli Roth originally wanted Serena Vincent to show her naked body during her sex scene with Ryder Strong. So this is between Marcy and Paul. Vincent, who had just previously played a nude foreign exchange student in Not Another Teen Movie, was afraid that exposing too much of herself would lead to being typecast as a nudity actress and vehemently refused to show her bare butt on screen. At the peak of the conflict between the two, Vincent told Roth that if he wanted the shot so badly, he would need to recast the role in another actress. Hmm. But they managed to reach a compromise in which Vincent showed one inch of her butt on camera and Roth measured it <laughs> for it to be precise. Bed sheets were then taped to her backside at the designated level and the scene was filmed. And I thought this was interesting. Vincent later appeared in a documentary called Skin, A History of Nudity in Movies in 2020, huh. talking about the experience. So obviously it sucks that she felt pressured just because she showed nudity in one movie that she would be expected to show nudity in another movie. Obviously sucky that she was put in that situation, but that was a known controversy surrounding the movie. So I wanted to talk about that. And then this comes from the IMDb, just the relationship between sex and violence. Sex and death are associated with each other numerous times in the film. The first sex scene between Jeff and Marcy is interspliced with shots of Bert killing squirrels. The second sex scene between Marcy and Paul is interspliced with a shot of seriously ill Karen decomposing. And the scenes where Paul lays dying of the disease in a hospital bed are interspliced with scenes of him kissing the bikini-clad Karen. Also, Marcy gives a notorious speech about how the only thing a dying person would want to do is have one last screw. It is implied that by not using a condom while they had sex, Marcy passed the deadly illness to Paul. Okay. Also, of the four main cast members who got the disease, Karen was revealed to be ill when Paul was touching her in a sexual manner. Marcy's first telltale wounds came from the marks that Paul made when he squeezed her back hard while they had sex, and Bert and Paul first discovered the lesions near their groins. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's sexually transmitted solely, but it's interesting about how when does sex happen in the movie and the relationship of how fast the disease progresses after that sexual encounter, you mm -hmm. know? So how do you feel about revisiting this movie all this time later? Well, when was the last time you saw this movie? I mean, I've seen it cumulatively probably like five, six times. I think I probably saw it like a couple of years ago, like maybe in grad school, just like turning it on as like a turn your brain off type of movie. Because that's the thing. I don't think you're supposed to take it seriously. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to like take, you know, a large messaging out of it. Obviously, I think it upholds some characterizations of, you know, the horror as an archetype in horror with Marcy and Karen to an extent. There isn't really a final girl. You had said that Paul is very much like Ash in The Evil Dead, yeah. where it's like it's his journey and we're just following him along with it. I mean, it's so painfully early 2000s that, again, the amount of slurs and the amount of, don't be gay, that's so gay, blah, 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 like, it's just like, it takes you out of it almost, just being so far removed from it. But again, I think it's the content and knowing that horrors come so far in terms of that line of, you know, body horror and infectious diseases, I still think we've yet to see the amount of pandemic movies that we're going to, whether they be zombie movies, whether we see a resurgence of like vampire movies, whether we see things coming back about this thing is contagious and you're going to get it and it's going to kill you. There are two vampire movies. I, there's that comedy with Nick Cage. Mm -hmm. And then there's another one coming out. I forget what it's called. It's like some ship name and it's like based on Dracula. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's yeah. the resurgence of it. Mm -hmm. And who knows if that'll continue. So, yeah, it holds a very nostalgic place in my heart because it is stupid. And I think it's one of the first movies that, again, like, scared me, got under my skin. I said the same thing about The Ruins. I think it was just one of those early things that made me think like, oh, wow, this is causing a like visceral reaction. 
obviously I think there's better movies, but when it comes to the body horror of it all and the contagious aspect of it all, I don't know. I like that it did for me what it did during the time and it turned me toward horror. But what did you think seeing it for the first time? Well, like I said in the beginning, I liked that I have seen enough movies from the early 2000s to know a little bit more stylistically what was going on. And so I felt like I was in the right headspace when I watched this. I don't think I tried to take it too seriously like I made the mistake of doing before with some other films. There is comedy in this film that I at least could see and appreciate for the time. You know, I appreciated the progression of the illness, which I had said a couple times. And especially now, I I can't believe that Marcy's leg shaving thing was actually, I really thought I could just protect my brain by being like, (laughs) no way. (laughs) Uh, But that's not the case. So I appreciate that. And I also like, you had said earlier about this movie being more about these friendships deteriorating, which I think is so interesting and especially underscored by the fact that nobody dies from the disease, like you said in your post plot which is so interesting and I think feeds into maybe one of the reasons I didn't really identify with any of these characters because we did see a lot of self-centered actions. And even though we were, I think, supposed to follow Paul the most and root for him, I just did not root for him. (laughs) And a big reason is because he is a piece of shit and only wanted to sleep with Karen and did not like keep watch over her in the shed like he said. Like, fine, you can be a young kid and have a massive crush on a girl that you've known since grade school, and you can try to make your move, but you're going to tell her that you'll keep an eye on her in the shed and then go inside with everybody else and, like, leave her out there in the dark while she's sick? That was huge. Like, I feel like Karen's sickness showed a lot of everybody's true colors. You know, seeing how their relationships deteriorated along with, obviously, their health, And of course, the emotional boundary that I got to experience by not really particularly caring for any of them or relating to any of them very much helped me, I think, watch this movie and enjoy it and not feel like super, super freaked out or like super emotionally burdened by whatever scary thing I was seeing. Well, I'm just glad I got you to watch it. (laughs) We've been Uh. fighting about it for like two summers. Let's do cabin fever. And you're like, absolutely not. (laughs) Well, anything, it seems these days is easier after the Green Inferno. And next week, we're doing another early 2000s gem, which should be exciting. Yeah, we have some really good things coming up for you in the future. Especially because, look, I know it's the summertime right now, but you know what season comes after summer? Spooky season. That's correct. And if you want to keep up with us and what we're doing or make any recommendations, definitely follow us on Instagram at The Horrors Podcast or email us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're The Horrors. Bye. Bye. Bye.